Lord, for those guys. Just bow our heads and prepare our hearts on the entrance to the scriptures together. Lord Jesus, thank you for um, you being so good. And thank you for providing us uh, with the holy word uh, to understand you, Lord. Uh, thank you for revelation. Thank you that even with the holy word, without your Holy Spirit doing the work in our hearts, uh, it will just fall to deaf ears. And so thank you that you have not only given us uh, clarity on your ways and wanders and history and who you are and your character. Uh, you've given us a revelation. You've uh, given us the opportunity to understand and to, to see you for who you are. Thank you for that, Lord. And we pray that um, you would not allow our pride and arrogance to get in the way today of understanding who you are. But we pray there would be humble spirits and contrite hearts in this room, uh, people who uh, understand and recognize uh, your glory and your kingship. Um, and uh, we pray that in that we would just be excited to learn about you, uh, to grow in who we are in your world, and to be on mission to make you known. And Holy Spirit, we ask, would you be gracious to speak through me? Lord, we, we come together as a body and we just pray. Lord, we know that it's not my articulation, not just my study, but it's by your spirit, Lord, uh, that people can understand and want to walk with Christ. So we pray that you would um, use me today and uh, you would be exalted. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Be seated, family. Open your Bibles um, to the book of Acts. If you need a Bible, we, um, we have them for you. Uh, Pastor Leon and one of your elders, Alvin, is uh, passing Bibles out right now. Just go ahead and raise your hand and we'll hook you up. A lot to cover. Man, I had to, I, I had to pace myself a little bit. I started getting all too, I started, you know, getting too excited. And I'm thinking, man, I still got to stand up here another 40 minutes and teach. So I'm going to calm down. I was checking out Demetrius and Rhea looking like Gladys Knight in the pit. So I thought, you know, mm, mm, I saw you. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what's up. Um, hey, guys, we're in the book of Acts. If you are new to our local community. Uh, what we do as a local community is we go through books of the Bible. We take hiatuses and, and different uh, segments where we'll, you know, enjoy different seasons um, in a Christian calendar, in the liturgical calendar, Advent, which we'll be um, experiencing for the next four weeks after uh, this week. Uh, but we're very serious about understanding the whole canon of Scripture. Uh, left unto ourselves, uh, we'll probably stay in those places that are kind of safe for us. And so what we have committed to do as a local body is uh, we exposit, we, we basically look at the Bible and we go through each book of the Bible and we under, try to understand what the mindset uh, was for the author as he's writing to a people, specifically in some context, a first century Jew. So that's, our, that's what we're doing here. Um, if you go online, you'll see we've gone through the book of John, we've gone through the book of Genesis, we've gone through Colossians, we've gone through Galatians. Um, right now we're in the book of Acts. We've been in Acts, uh, has it been almost, I don't know, almost a year? Maybe, it's been a while. All right, and... Um, and we're in uh, Acts chapter 16 right now. So um, if you're new, you got some homework to do. Uh, you can go online and you can uh, listen to some of the sermons, uh, read the book, uh, get yourself acclimated. I uh, would love for you to do that. But we hope even right now uh, that just being in Acts 16, you'll still hopefully be encouraged by what God is doing. You'll see uh, the beauty of Christ uh, in this story as well. Uh, but just want to give you some heads up on where we are and why we're here. Uh, we're in Acts 16. We'll keep flowing through. Uh, we've seen a lot of cool things happen. Um, in, in the book of Acts, just want to give you a couple of ground rules. 
please, if um, there's something that's not making sense, you can ask a question in this local community. Um, if it's something that can benefit the whole body, please, that's okay, because we like to parse it out and, 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 and connect together. Um, if it's something specific, uh, please come down and see me. Afterwards, see uh, your Pastor Leon or one of your elders, and we can, we can talk through it. But we want us to not just get smarter. We really want you to be worshiping Christ, all right? And so you know, it makes no sense for me to stand up here and you kind of, yeah, 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 but really not get what we're saying. We want you to, to really understand what we're saying, enter your heart, and hopefully bring forth worship to Christ. So that's our, that's our goal. That's why we're up here uh, doing this, just to give you that snapshot. A um, lot of cool things. Let me, we've gone through a lot. Let me go through just briefly. Um, I think we have up right now uh, basically kind of a timeline that we've gone through. Um, in a nutshell, uh, the beginning of Acts stars as, as um, uh, one canon that was actually uh, part of the book of Luke. So if you're familiar with the Bible, there um, are the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, Luke, uh, the writer of Luke, actually wrote Luke and Acts. And before it was two books, it was one. Um, and then what happened was it became two books. And so um, we have in this book, this is uh, Luke trying to uh, convince uh, a very powerful um, uh, Gentile that Jesus is real and that he's worthy of his worship. And so that's basically what's going on here. And then you get to see some of the history um, while he's convincing him of the formation of the church, the New Testament church. And so we get to sit in like a fly on a wall and see how this is unfolding, right? And so we get to see uh, Jesus actually the end of his life in the book of Acts where he dies on the cross, and I'm sorry, the end of Luke. And then we get to see that kind of merge with the beginning of Acts where Jesus rises from the dead, both in Luke and Acts, right? And then we get to see Jesus now tell the people, hey, I'm, I'm alive, I'm real. They're super excited because at first they thought, man, what in the world were we doing for these last couple of years serving this guy? Now he's murdered. What, what do we do now? He rose from the dead. He's triumphant as king. They're thinking, sweet. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going to give you this mission. I want you to make me known. Hey, but I'm not just asking you to go in your own flesh. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. He empowers these guys to get filled with the Spirit. Uh, they continue to walk with the Lord. Uh, Peter began the same guy who was a wimp, who was running from Jesus and who was acting like he didn't know Jesus. This guy gets filled with the Spirit. He starts healing people. He starts proclaiming the gospel, telling people, no, Jesus is real. I know I was a wimp back then, but I saw him alive now and now I'm willing to die because I realize this is serious. Right, this is, this is Peter. See these people get healed. Uh, we continue to go on. We begin to see the church begins to grow. We get, begin to see a guy named Saul begin, uh, kill Christians because, because of the church growing, begin to have influence in the Hellenized world, which means that they were controlled by the Greeks. Right? And so these guys get upset. They start persecuting the Christians. Uh, well, actually, the Jews and the uh, Greeks start persecuting the Christians, the Jews, because they realize, oh, my goodness, we're losing our power. And it's this, this new sect, the way, who's coming in telling us that everything is realized and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the reason why Judaism was existing. Jesus Christ is the reason why we have life. So they persecute, and then the Greeks persecute just because they're like, man, we're losing power. That this, this sect is gaining more power. Uh, Saul... Uh, one of the uh, staunch Pharisees, he's like the prominent figure in, uh, in Judaism. He actually helps kill Christians. And then he himself actually, because Jesus reveals himself to him, becomes a Christian. So he becomes a Christian, uh, begins to walk with the Lord. And now him and Peter and the rest of the crew are now leading people to Christ. Okay, uh, Things happen where 
uh, people go to prison, um, and all of a sudden, you know, they continue to uh, get dispersed because there's persecution on the Christians. They go out, and while they're out in all these different lands, the Jews are like, hey, we should probably tell people about Jesus. They start telling people about Jesus in these other lands of people who are not Jews, and people become Christians. So now, remember, Jesus told them that you're going to share the gospel, and the gospel's going to go forth, right, not only in Jerusalem, but Judea, and not only in Samaria, but also the uttermost parts of the world. And you begin to see this happen in the book of Acts. You begin to see Jesus, again, one of the main modes of operations in Scripture is for Jesus to say something and then do it to remind you and me that he's faithful. That's one of the main modes of operation in the Bible. So then when we see that he's faithful in history and then we go to our own practical life and we look at our bills and we look at our life and we look at our, you know, you're beefing with your wife and you're arguing, you go, well, is the Lord faithful? And you go, yes. God sees my wife, he sees my, my kids, he understands my school situation, he understands all that. Because if he can handle raising up the New Testament church, he can handle my light bill. Right? So, so, so all theology is practical. It's not just hot pie in the sky, but it's because so that we can live a life with courage knowing God is faithful. Okay? So these guys present the gospel, they begin to go, and they do what you call the first missionary journey. This is Paul. They go out and they preach the gospel to all these areas, these Gentile areas, and we've talked about that, and then they continue to go on. And I think there's a timeline here, and you get to see uh, when some of the books were written, which is cool. Actually, I am under the belief with a lot of theologians that Galatians was probably, I think, actually written maybe in like 48 or so, but that's like, man, the dates are crazy, so don't, don't quote me on that. Obviously, I wasn't there. Um, but you have in this time frame Galatians being written, First Thessalonians being written, and then we get to um, Paul's second missionary journey, which is where we are now in the book of Acts. And so um, in Acts 16, we're, on, we're doing his second missionary journey. Uh, we started last week, and now we're continuing on um, with his second missionary journeys. And so let me ask you this as we move on, jump right into the word. Who of you guys have heard of the book of Philippians? Okay. Have you guys had the opportunity to read the book of Philippians? Ain't trying to tell nobody. But listen, here's what's cool. is like today what we're going to learn, we're going to learn how the Philippians got saved. Isn't that cool? Yeah, we, we, get, we get to see, you guys are nervous. We get to see, like, like you know, you see these books and you, and you can kind of think that it's popped out of the sky. But no, something happened. People were evangelized. People came to faith. People started growing in the Lord. And we get to see, oh, a little snapshot of what happened with the other Philippians. So let's start in verse 11, shall we? You ready? All right, and all, we, all, we always like to tell you, if you need a Bible in your house, let us know. We would love to provide a Bible for you. We would love to have each of you come with your Bibles or grab a Bible, be ready to write in it and, and just learn how to just uh, do life and Bible gymnastics in your, in your scriptures, okay? We want you reading the Bible. We put this up here for you, but don't get lazy, all right, and just kind of sit up here and think you're watching, right? This ain't Lord of the Rings. You kind of got to be participating with Right, you have a responsibility, just like I do as your pastor, you have a responsibility as a people of God to be digesting God's word and growing your faith. So we want you to be learning how to be in the scriptures, okay? So just want to uh, throw that out there real quick. Verse 11. So these guys, remember last week, they're sitting out, they're, they, they go around, they're like, where do we go? They're like, oh, I'm to minister to these people. Can you put up the map, please? I got a lot of flack with my little, my little um, red dot. So I'm, I'm teachable. I ain't going to do that no more. I'm sorry, y'all. Okay. So, so, so in the second missionary journey, remember the first missionary journey, they went kind of south and up. The second missionary journey, because those guys, um, uh, uh, Barnabas um, and Mark went, went south, 
uh, these guys actually went up north, and they started to come up in this area, and they ministered well. And then you would think that they would enter into this area and minister next, right? But that's not what happened. Actually, as they went this way, the Holy Spirit told them, no, don't go minister to those people. Which we're like, what? Right? Oh, who's being funny? You, y'all roll for that. And you know what? Even more important, y'all better not have seen that red dot. If you saw that dot, I'm mad because you told me you didn't see it all last week. All right. So then they, 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 they said, well, okay, Lord. Okay, well, we'll, what we'll do. <laughs> Another thing, too. Um, somebody, my man, I think it was in a lot. Who, who had the question about Antioch? So Antioch, the question was, why is there Antioch? Um, a city there, and also I see it here, because there is the region of Antioch and also the city Antioch. So that's the reason why. Um, so, yeah, so I wanted to just to catch you up on that real quick. You go up north, the Holy Spirit told them, no, you can't, you can't go up north into the Galatia area. So then they're like, okay, well, where can we go? They say, well, you can't go uh, to, to the west part. So then they start all the way up north here to Troas. And they enter up into Troas and see where they are. They're just like right here. Right, they're standing there going, so what do we do, who, you know, and they, who, who do we share our faith with? And, and I love, they continue to go forth, but they continue trying to find ways to minister the gospel. They couldn't go to Beth, uh, Bethany because the Spirit told them not to. They couldn't go down south to Colossae and to the Lystra, I mean, sorry, to Colossae and Ephesus and things like that, because so the Spirit told them not to. And so they actually entered into Troas, and they're kind of waiting for the Holy Spirit to reveal something to them. And then we hear... That the Spirit does because the Spirit uh, allows, um, allows Paul to have a vision of a man in Macedonia, which is across the sea. You see there? So then they cross the Aegean Sea to minister to the Macedonians, which is how we get to the church of Philippi. Now, remember how interesting that is. You see how far they were? They went all the way over here, right, to minister when they could have went right down here too. But that shows you God's ways are not our ways, Right? Because what's interesting, it, it will make a little more sense hum, hum, from a human perspective if they min- never ministered down south, but they're going to come right around and minister down south. It's interesting that two things I'm convinced that Paul, I mean, that the Lord wanted to make sure that Timothy became uh, one of the individuals who would minister with Paul, so he went north first. And I'm also convinced that God knew that he wanted to first have these guys reach out past their, their framework because if they would have just ministered south, they probably would have stayed in this area and went back south, back home, and they wouldn't have probably reached, as it were, across Macedonia. And so God wanted to help them understand that I'm, I'm keeping it real. I'm truly trying to make sure that people in the uttermost parts of the world get to know Jesus, that everybody has a chance to hear about Christ. Okay, so that's just a snapshot of what happened last week. So now they're setting sail from Troas. We made a direct voyage to Samothrace in verse 11. So they're listening to Jesus, right? And look at this bomb group. You talk about a bomb group. Matt, check this out. Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy. Man, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. So these are the guys who are ministering uh, to serve the Lord. Uh, it says in verse 12, I'm sorry, and the following day um, they went to Neapolis, and verse 12, and from there to Philippi. So they went to these different individual places, and for some reason God was giving them the grace to continue to travel through those places, and it just took them a couple of days to get to Philippi, which is interesting because that lets you know I love like just little historical bits um, as you're reading extra biblical resources, it took them a couple of days because of the wind, right? Because coming back in Acts, you can write this address down in Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 6, I think it shares how it took them about five days to get back. 
So you, you know that, man, it's probably a rougher journey because of, of the wind, and God gave him the grace to not make it too intense um, going there. Well, they get to Philippi, which is, it says in the scriptures of verse 12, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and, remained, and we remained in this city some days. Right? So they get to Philippi. A couple of things we need to learn. We need to know that, that Philippi is a very important city. Uh, so they set up shop there in Macedonia, right, in northern Greece. Uh, we need to also understand that Philippi was named after uh, Philip II, which is, uh, you know, Alexander the Great, his, his dad. And the thing is, that's very important in the sense that, remember, he Hellenized the whole known world. So the reason why you got the, um, the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, um, and then it was written in Greek, the Old Testament. That's what you call scholars know the Septuagint. We have a scholar who's an upcoming scholar, Ethan. So the Septuagint is the Greek writings of the Old Testament. Why? Because Alexander the Great came and made the whole world basically Greek, right, and said, we're going to conquer the whole world, and if you're going to really be somebody, you're going to know Greek, you're going to speak Greek, you're going to understand Greek. And so then uh, we wrote basically the Greek Old Testament. So this, this guy, so this is a very important city named after uh, Alexander the Great's dad. And it says here, they remained there some days. And in verse 13, it says, and on the Sabbath, now check this out. There's no Christians in Philippi. I think that's fair. And on the Sabbath day, the scriptures say, we went outside the gate to the riverside uh, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So what's going on here? Well, uh, that word, uh, the place of prayer, is actually a, a term that was used uh, in the first century, uh, right? I'm going to act like I know how to say that. I'm faking it. If you go on Google, I'm sure they say it better. But um, the place uh, was a place set apart or suited for the offering of prayer. Now, the reason why they were at this place is because, remember, whenever they went to evangelize any place, where did they go? Yes, here Tim, they went to the synagogues, right? Why, why do you go to synagogues? Because if you're going to talk to people about giving your life to Jesus and, and, and thousands of years of history and Judaism, you're going to probably talk to somebody who kind of knows us up at some level. You're going to talk to somebody who has a little framework, right? You're going to start with your family, right? So, 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 you always, so they always went first to, to the Jews and say, hey, I know you kind of get some of this history, you know, so let me talk to you first. So they would go to the synagogues. Um, now, to have a synagogue, you only had to have around 10 individuals, 10 men. And that made up a synagogue in, in the history, in antiquity. Okay? So what my point there is there weren't a lot of Jews here. I mean, you're talking straight up Gentiles. Right? You're talking pure Europe Gentiles, right? And they didn't even have enough men to, to, to determine to have a synagogue. And so what you had here is you had a few individual ladies who still wanted to worship Yahweh. And so what they did was they said, well, hey, let's go down to the river. Remind me of that uh, Brother We're Out Thou movie, you know? So they go out to the river, and they're all just hanging out. I know, I don't know if you, I'm, I'm getting old, brother. So, and they go and hang out, right? And they're at this river, and they're practicing basically the framework of what Jews did in the synagogue. They were that committed. See, that's really hard and weird for us, but people took religion seriously who took it seriously back in this day. So these ladies um, there, so, so, so Paul at some level, they're going around trying to see who the religious folk are, and they get word that these ladies are at the, at, the, at the river, at the place of prayer. And he arrives, and they start hanging out, and it says in verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of uh, Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. A worshiper of God. So she could either have been a Jew 
right? Or a, pro, or, um, a worshiper of God, a Gentile who wanted to love Jesus as well, right? Um, the text doesn't tell us a lot. What we do learn is that she's a seller of goods. She's from uh, kind of a, another city. She has uh, some, they, they, the believers in antiquity think she had some wealth because she was selling these goods, making money. And she had a group of people with her. And I love what it says here. Don't miss this guy. It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I love that. Because you think about it. So all these individuals are worshiping Yahweh. But yet the scriptures tell you only one actually listened when he talked about Jesus. Isn't that interesting? And what's interesting is she was kind of powerful. Uh, she had her own business. Uh, Macedonian uh, women at this time were very independent. So this is a big deal. But I hope that even gives us just a little glimpse into the sovereignty of God again. Of how, like we present the scriptures and God has to do his work, right? The scriptures say in verse 15, and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house uh, and stay. And she prevailed upon us, the scriptures say. So we realize we have this businesswoman who's saying, man, like I, I'm hearing what you're saying. Um, and she, here's a word, here's a gospel. You present the gospel, she becomes a Christian. So here we have, I love, I love history because you have the first Christian woman in Macedonia, right? She's a lady, right? The first Christian convert in, in pure Europe is a lady, uh, which is something to be said uh, in that day and age um, based on the value system, right, of women. Uh, which is sad, but is a reality. It was a rich lady, by the way, too. Uh, notice, notice what she does here. I think the author does this on purpose. The author shows you that when she becomes a Christian and she realizes, man, okay, so all the things we've been doing for all these years is fulfilled in Christ. Well, I want to be a Christian. I want to walk with the Lord. So you got this independent woman. I think the, the author wanted you to see this independent woman then does something that a lot of women in Macedonia wouldn't have done. And that they're very independent. And that is to welcome these people into her home and to love on them and care for them and to identify with these individuals. Because you've got to keep in mind, Who's in power at the time? Right? The Rome, Romans, right? So, and, and who do they think was king? Caesar. Who was God to them? Caesar. So Christians come and say, you know what? Actually, Caesar's not God and Jesus is. Okay? So you, now again, there's not another synagogue down the street. We, we're not doing ecumenicalism here, right? This is like, we are serious about King Caesar. And all of a sudden, these guys come in talking about this Jesus guy, this can be very bad for those people who are going to identify with these new, this new sect. You got me, guys? This can be very bad for them, right? Now, now don't get me wrong. The, the Romans were smart. They didn't want to have all kind of drama in their, in their day and age. And so what they did was they let people have their religion, right, just as long as it didn't cause too, it didn't cause too much of a bruja. And so that's why even the Jews could have synagogues and some of the other places that we saw um, up north. Because right, they, they, they controlled all of that. <laughs> right. Okay. So you got, this first con, you got this first convert now. Look what happens. Convert comes. Jesus is being exalted. Look what Satan does. Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Right. So these guys found someone who can make the money. This young lady. And they had her uh, basically manipulating people for financial gain. The scripture says, 
She followed Paul, verse 17, and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, isn't this a weird passage? Is it just me? Is this weird, Paul? This is weird. I'm looking like, first of all, Paul, how did you know that she was demon-possessed? Because she's proclaiming Christ. Isn't that weird? She's like the way of salvation. Oh, these guys off the chain. Now, it's interesting. I wonder it's because she probably was just wild out. Like every time you know, she'd come over, like, here they are again, all loud and stuff, and acting crazy. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I love the fact, I just love how the scriptures, like, allow you to see it was people just, and it was street. Like, I love how at first, you know, she's talking. You had that. you speaking up front or somewhere, and someone all talking, and you trying to be nice. And it seemed like the next couple of days, Paul just got salty. Paul was like, look, man, stop, you know. And so I don't know if the Holy Spirit helped him understand this in some way. I mean, I know that. I don't know how he did it specifically. But here's what I'm, I'm convinced of, guys. Here's how... So you said, what's the problem? Why, why was this an issue? Why was he annoyed? I think Paul is mad because you got Satan agreeing. And, and, I, and sadly, I think I've seen this in our, in our, this in even our local community. A lot of times in churches, Satan will come and agree in order to get into the group. And then cause havoc when he gets in the group. And I'm convinced. I was just ministering to a lady um, the other day. I was talking with her, and we were connecting, and she was like, hey, love your local body. And then I started telling her what we're doing about Christ. And then she's like, yeah, we'd love to come and, and share some things up front. And I'm like, oh, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait. And then we kept talking, and then I would say something about Jesus, and she would say something about energy. And I'll go, huh. Then I'll say something, you know, I'm checking it out. I'll say something else about Jesus, exalt Christ. And then she would exalt energy. And I was like, oh. I'm glad I asked you some questions because you'd have been up here talking about energy. See, it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if Paul, by God's grace, gave him the wisdom to go, no, this person who you think they are. And, and you guess what? Practically, we see this because we see all kind of drama in our local churches when people say, oh, I'm down with Jesus. And then all of a sudden you start talking about a tenant of the faith and all of a sudden people lose their minds. Right? Goes on, cast the demon out. Verse 19 says, but when the, her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Um, now, what happens in verse 19 sets up, for the sake of time, I'm going to have to keep going. I'm going to hold you in one moment. Uh, verse 19 sets up the rest of what's going to happen here, guys. So we got a turning point here. So these guys grab them, drag them to the marketplace. Marketplace basically being, uh, in our day and age, like the campus marshes, right? You always had a place in these in these. Uh, in these cities where you had all the Senate and all the individuals of power who lived around that area. You had individuals out there, you know, selling things, presenting things. It was like where you wanted to be, right, as a socialite, okay? Well, you take, you take them there, and verse 20 says, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and are disturbing their city. You see, all of a sudden, the anti-Semitism comes out, right? A couple things. First, they're like, hey, first of all, you know, these, these guys aren't even like us. 
They don't even, they, they don't, I don't even think they believe that Jesus, that, that, that Caesar is king. So these are Jews and they're disturbing our city. And to add on to that, look what the scriptures say. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Right? What are you talking about there? What, what, are, what customs? I mean, they, they haven't done anything yet. They just got there. What customs? There's no Mardi Gras or anything. Right? You know, the, the custom is they want you to, they want us to worship this Jesus guy. And right, and now that's huge because, hey, remember, Caesar's king, right? And so you need to agree with that. These powers that be have to agree with that. So what's happening here, I, want to, I just want to help us understand the history. So you got these guys. They're being persecuted, right? They drag them to the magistrates. These guys, um, they don't love Jesus, right? They love the world. They think Caesar's their God. Their president is their God. And they're saying, hey, we don't want these guys around. But they don't care about that. They don't care about worship. They care about money, right? They're mad because they're not getting paid anymore. Which is interesting, they don't even care about the girl, right? We don't, we don't learn what happens to the girl in the text there. We see she gets released. I'm praying she came, became a Christian, right? And then verse 22 says, the crowd joined in attacking them, which I just want to pause real quick. The crowd, if you ever do a, um, a, a, a theological study on how the term crowd is used a lot in the scriptures, it's almost used, the tenor of crowds is almost to say, people who had no clue what was going on got together, <laughs> That's kind of a tenor. Uh, and, that, and that's the tenor of Scripture because the Scriptures want us to kind of learn that, man, the multitudes can be stupid. And, that, and so don't get, don't get twisted when you see a lot of people doing something. And, and so, yeah, so, so, so fact check me on that. That's kind of the tenor when you keep seeing crowds in Scripture. There's always a sense of like, in the multitudes, it's all, okay, we're going to beat you up. Why are we beating him up? Right? But look what they did. They, they got together and the magistrates tore their garments off at campus marshes. So they're naked, okay, so, and gave them orders to be beaten, with, like, beat them with rods, right? So these guys are, were called lictors, these, these people who, who walked around, carried the rods. They also carried an axe because every once in a while, they would actually execute people based on what the crime was. They had that kind of authority in Rome. Guys, this is not, this is not like the nice little area. I mean, you know what I'm saying? In, in America, or you just got, you know, there's some sense of checks and balances. I mean, this is rough, um, it says in verse 23, so now, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, so they're beating them, right, in front of everybody, they're naked, embarrassing them, beating them. They threw them into prison, ordering the jail to keep them safely, right? In verse 24, it says, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So not the regular prison, but the inner prison was basically like a wet, nasty, grungy, dirty, dirt dungeon, all right, so put them in a dungeon, and in these locks, you know, you think of, you know, you know, the show cops, you know, kind of some handcuffs. It wasn't like that. These, I mean, man, the Romans were very creative. And it, if you go into history and you see all the things they would make, everything was to make have you be in excruciating pain. And so, so when you look at the locks, they were kind of these locks where they would kind of spread your feet apart in order for, in a way to make you get cramps. I mean, it was like an excruciating pain that these guys were in, just to give you a, just a snapshot of what's going on with these guys. That they're being persecuted for the gospel. So this is where they're at. And then it says, verse 25, about midnight. So here they are persecuted, beaten, legs cramped, they're in a dungeon, dirty, nasty, hungry. And it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners was listening to him. So you, heard, you remember the story, right? Here's the response. Tell me about gospel perspective. Is that gospel perspective? 
right? I think there's two, two things they're trying to do here. I think they were trying to edify Jesus. They were worshiping Christ. I also think they were trying to be evangelists. I'm pretty sure they were proclaiming Christ, but they also were realizing that there's people around. And, and the way I respond to this is going to probably minister to some cats. Do you ever think about that? The way you respond to your circumstances, how that can show Jesus to somebody? You ever think about that? Or the way you respond in a negative way, right, can show how it's our lack of belief in Jesus? It's no pressure. It's just real. Here's what I want to talk about real quick. Circumstances in the gospel. This is huge because, again, theology is practical, guys. And all of us have circumstances. All of us have some things going on. I know we come in here and we laugh and we look at each other. Then I know we leave here and we're addicted to stuff. We're angry. Some of us are bitter. Some of us are experiencing great joy and grace motivation. Praise the Lord. You continue to trust Christ. But some of us got some issues, right? Drama with family members, with broken relationships, with relationships in your home, right? And here's what Satan wants you to do. He wants to do two things. I think he wants to first say, okay, you don't need to think like, like that. You don't worship God based on circumstances at all. Well, I don't think that's biblical. I think we worship God based on circumstances. But what circumstance? Who he is. Jesus. We worship God. The, the Bible's clear with that. We worship Jesus because he's our king. Right? If he wasn't your king, would you worship him? Right? We worship Jesus because you were dead and now you're alive. Because he has the power to do that. Right? We worship Jesus because he freed you from sin. Right? We worship. We, we, we exalt. We sing out. Because we go, man, I'm not in shackles anymore. It's sin. That's a circumstance, right? Because now he says, I've overcome the world. That's a circumstance. He's overcome the world because of that circumstance. I can live my whole life not fearful. Wondering what's going to happen to me. Who's going to protect me, right? We don't have to live like that, right? So, 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 so I think that's a slight theological flaw for us to try to over-exalt Christ. I don't think we have to. He's awesome. And God is okay with us saying we worship because of the circumstances of our Lord King Jesus, who he is and what he's done in history. Praise the Lord, right? Satan tricks us another way. If he can get you to quit looking at those circumstances and focusing in on anything else, he got us. He got you. A defeated Christian, and I've seen this over and over again as I minister, a defeated Christian is someone who keeps their focus on their stuff, on their circumstances. On their stuff. Has anyone been in a scenario like this before? Have you been in a dungeon, naked, beaten? Guess what, guys? They were bleeding. You think a paramedic came in? Oh, man, no. until, until the court date, let me hook you up, you know, put some salve on there. Oh, Epsom salt and soak you. No. They're bleeding. They're, they're hurting. They're hungry. They got shackles on. Has any of us experienced it? I haven't. I've been in fights. I've been in all kinds of jobs. I haven't experienced this. And I tell you something, things way, way lesser than this get me to get my focus off Jesus. Where all of a sudden I'm so concerned about money or respect, right? Or, I mean, you, you name the issue. What's your issue? What gets you off where you forget that Christ reigns, Right? I was thinking, um, 
I didn't think of, you know, the other day, I'm glad the kids are here. Uh, my, my, one of my boys, uh, <laughs> Eli, you know, this all happens with all our kids, I think, right? You, you have a kid, if you, especially if you have multiple, you have at least one, I'm thinking, who's going to wake up from a nap and just be grumpy. Right? Just, and not like just like normal human grumpy, like, oh, I'm kind of grumpy, just got up and then take you like a minute. I'm talking like, I'm going to be grumpy the whole day. Bump. You know, and, and it's the most frustrating thing for me as a parent. You know why? Because as his daddy, I'm going, bro, you got a big old house. You got heat. You got a refrigerator full of food. You got two parents that love you. You got brothers that care for you. You have multiple floors full of toys. <laughs> you get a huge yard. You live, you live like a middle-class kid. You, what, what are you moping for? What are you moping about? Right? What are you moping about? I think it's just the same for Jesus. When we start, you know, he's killed, but I'm tired. I deserve the right to be mopey. I just, mm. right? And I think the Lord says, well, what are you? He says, Eric, you were dead. And I, I, I reveal myself to you and I allow you to respond to me. And now you're walking with me and you're not addicted to drugs. You're not addicted to porn and you're freed up. And, and I've done all these things in your life. What are you moping about? I've given you a beautiful wife. I've given you kids. I've done things in your life to show my evidence of my grace. What are you moping about? He's like, Eric, come on. I think these guys get it. So I know exams are hard, but look, you in college, praise the Lord. <laughs> right? Like, guys, God is like, get some perspective. Are you kidding me? When you're in this scenario where you're sitting down and, and you're in another country and they're, and, they're, and they're about to behead you, then do you wish, man, I wish I had those other problems? I wish I had those other problems, right? Give me late bills now, right? Give me a flunk test, please. Give me two, right? You're about to snap it off like I'm telling you. It's all about perspective, right? These guys, edifying Jesus, it says in the scriptures. Look at this. And I, can, I, can I just, I'm going to meddle a little bit. I'm just going to say something. Okay, here, here's. Here's my thing. And I, I'm convinced as I read the scriptures, I'm like, you know what? It's just humbling. If I, if I look at the reality of how it talks about us praising Jesus and being filled with the spirit, Ephesians 5, speaking to one another in psalm and hymns and spiritual songs, and a sense of like God tells us to be thankful in all things, I'm convinced that you cannot be a grumpy Christian and be spirit-filled. I'm convinced whenever you're grumpy, right, you might think, well, all my life I've been grumpy. Well, you're a Christian now. Right? I'm convinced of it. You cannot, you cannot have this cup half empty mindset, always, oh, look at me, and be spirit-filled at the same time. You can't. Because the scriptures show that a spirit-filled person, that means they have a gospel perspective and that changes everything. And so that's why you sit around and you go, I'm, I'm thankful though. And it's not being fake. It's saying I'm choosing not to focus on that junk. That's not fake. At some point, somebody got to choose. And the natural world tells you, well, choose gloom. Choose, hey, man, that's just normal, man. It hurt. You got to be sad. 
Well, I want to propose to you. I, I think you can live supernatural. I think the Lord says in the midst of your pain, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be flippant. I have had a lot of pain in my life. I've had a lot of crying and I still cry a lot. And there's a lot of stuff going on in my own journey where I got to renew my mind. So I'm not being flippant with anyone's circumstance in here. Please hear that. What I am saying is our God is greater. And I am saying that the scriptures are telling me, Eric, I know that's hard. I know that's messed up, but I want you to choose me. I want you to choose, okay, I got a choice. I can choose joy and who Christ is and what he's done in the reality of true life, or I can choose my situation. It's really that simple, guys. So look what happens. You got these guys worshiping Jesus, and it says in the scripture in verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, right? We don't know if it was the whole area of just, I mean, you know God good, right? He can make just this room have an earthquake, right? So that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open. Everybody's bonds were unfastened. Verse 27, when the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. He's like, well, man, prison is gone. They're going to kill me. I might as well just finish this, right? So he can kill himself, right? Supposing that the prisoners had escaped, he's just distraught, right? Now, I don't understand. This is just me. I don't understand why did God... Okay, let me just keep reading. But verse 28, the scriptures say... But then Paul cried with a loud voice. So maybe he saw him in a silhouette or maybe the Holy Spirit told him. He saw the brother, you know, like on the cartoon, he saw the knife shadow and he's like, da-da-da. And he's like, stop. Don't kill yourself or whatever, you know. And it says, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights. What? Turn the lights on. He rushed in, turned the lights on and trembling with fear. You know what? That's so beautiful. Let me just pause. I want to read that in itself. I don't understand why did the father allow the shackles to be taken off and to open up the door if he didn't want him to leave. You ever think about that? You ever think about that? Guess what? If I'm in prison and the Lord take off my shackles and my, my door open, guess what a brother going to be? <laughs> I'm just telling you. So I don't get it. But then I started praying and asking the Lord, why did he do that? I believe because God wanted the people of God who will read this later to see the awe of God. Here's the awe of God. You got two men who beat down the guys in Psalm. They're praising Jesus. The guy's going, what in the world's going on over there? How are you praising Jesus? They more beat up than me. They got them in the bigger, in the, in the worst dungeon than my dungeon, than where I'm at. And then they hear the earthquake. So they hear about this God. They see the earthquake. Everything opens up. I believe because the, the, the author doesn't tell us that there was conversation. That they were so in awe of our King Jesus. They were so like, oh my goodness, what is going on? I think they were too scared to leave. I believe they were so in awe and in shock because they didn't see the very two who had more issues done to them leave. And they're thinking, why am I going to leave if they didn't leave? I'm going to be with the homies who still praising and things are just happening supernatural right now. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to enjoy this ride. What's about to happen now? Let me see what happens. And so then, notice what happens here. It says in the scriptures, and they, let me try, okay, it says, but Paul cried, cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here, verse 29, and the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. Let me shoot down to verse 30. And it says, I'm sorry, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. This is the jailer who just had nothing to do with him. Threw him in, did his job. He falls down. It says, then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, that's interesting. It's interesting he uses the word saved. 
It's interesting that he knew he had to be saved. How did he know he had to be saved? It's a Greek. Right? I'm proposing because I'm proposing they just, they, they've been talking about Jesus. They've been hearing. They, I think things have been going on in the community where they've been hearing different tidbits of the gospel. He doesn't know it all. But something was happening where he knew this framework. Guys, Christianity wasn't there before them. No books, right? How do you do that? Check this out. Yes, Chris. Mm. So the servant girl maybe like proclaiming the gospel, right? Or even Lydia going around. I just want to proclaim to you that, man, God was allowing the gospel to go forth. People were hearing about Jesus. To the point where this guy knew, okay, I've been hearing about this. I thought you were stupid. I'll put you in a dungeon. Things are happening now. How do I serve your God? Look what it says. And he took, um, it says, and they said, believe, I love it. believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You ain't got to jump through hoops. You and your household, you ain't got to jump through hoops. What you got to understand is that you deserve death, but God wants to free you. He says, I want you to agree with him, confess your sin, right? Repent of your sin, turn toward God, away from yourself. And he says, and then God tells you, when you say, Jesus, I want you to be my king. I don't want to be my king. He says, he will save you. Right? He'll forgive you of your sins and make you his child. No hoops. Love the gospel. Love the good news. If you're here right now, no hoops you got to jump through. Right? It's believe that Jesus, he is sufficient for your salvation. That his blood and his body broken. Look what it says. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in the house. Now, remember, he didn't care. This jailer didn't care about him. Don't miss this. Didn't care about him before at all, right? Get saved, verse 33. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. See that? So, oh my goodness, what did I do? Come here. I love it. Took him. And it says, and he was baptized at once. He and all his family led his family to Christ. So they went and told the family about Jesus too. Think about this. But you see this a lot, right? Then he brought them up to his house. I mean, come up to my crib. So they go next door to his house. Right, and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed God. I love that. He rejoiced. Why? Because he believed God. Man, I'm a Christian. Oh my goodness, I become. I'm saved. Guess what? They're in Gentile country. This dude could die tomorrow. <laughs> right? But guess what? Look what God does. Because these guys could have been dead. Look what God does. So they're having a good old time. Love this. We have no clue what's going on with the other prisoners right now. Right? Because we don't hear, did they close the doors? Did they, I mean, they ain't in the house, boom, 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 you know, dancing like we say, you know, just, and then, right? And then it says in verse 35, but when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. They come, uh, therefore come out now and go in peace. So, so they go party for a couple hours. And he's like, hey man, I got to, you know, you know, I'm a jailer and stuff. I got to put you back in the dungeon, all right? But I'm going to have everything loose on you. It's going to be straight. So they go back, set it back up. He goes in the dungeon. Oh, I'm so hurt. Oh, you know. And then they hook it all up. Then the guys come and say, you're free to go, right? And then it says, and look what Paul does here. Don't miss this. So have you, Paul starts to get all irate. Verse 37, but Paul said to them, hey, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison and they do not, and they now throw us out secretly. So they're saying, hey, you can get out. You can go now. He says, no, 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 no. I'm a Roman citizen. He says, no, let them come themselves and take us out. And then we can go home after this. The police reported these words to the magistrates, like what he said. I mean, Paul, this guy was actually a Roman citizen. Did you know that? Right. And they, they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. 
So they came and apologized to them, and he took them out and asked them to leave the city. Okay, look, I'm sorry, man, can you just leave now? You're causing some drama. Please leave. I'm sorry I beat you down. You can just leave. Verse 40, so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. Check this out. So they went out of prison. Remember, they said, hey, can you leave? I'm going to tell you what, 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 what some theologians are saying happened here, and I'm, I'm convinced of it as well. Paul is, is doing almost like a little kind of like blackmail. See, Paul realized he's in Gentile land. Because I asked myself, Paul knew he was a Pharisee and a Roman citizen and all this stuff when he was getting beat down. And all he had to do was say, hey, put that stick down. Do you know who I'm a Roman citizen? And they would have had to stop because you could not degrade a Roman citizen in public in that way in the first century. All right? Remember, because the people who are degrading him, right, these guys would have been in big trouble. Right? So, so they realized that, oh, my goodness, what did we do? So why didn't Paul say something in the beginning? I'm convinced because he was thinking, man, if they're going to beat us down, this is going to give us leverage later. Why did he need leverage later? Because they wanted to make sure that the church of God could grow in that community, and it would not have been able to grow if immediately people would have came to Christ and been killed or persecuted. And so guess what? What you see here is you begin to see something. And here's why I say this, because notice, they say, hey, look, we, we, we beat you down. Please leave. Look what he does. He says, I ain't going nowhere. I'm going to see Lydia. So why did he do that? Why did he go to see the people that he ministered to? You know why? Because he wanted to be very public who his people were. I'm connected to her. I'm connected to him. I'm connected to him and him. And if you touch them, I'm going to come back and tell them what you did to me. Because what happened was when he left, none of these guys got persecuted at the time. And actually the church began to flourish. Look at God. Look at the wisdom of God. I'm convinced that Paul realized that, oh, my goodness, if I leave now and then these, these guys just decide, like, we want to worship God and God, man, what's going to happen to these guys? And so I think he did this as a bargaining chip um, to realize that it was a punishable offense for what they did to Paul. And so he had that. So they had to kind of be nice to Paul's crew. And then that allowed individuals to come to faith. Now, there's a lot of application here, guys. Um, I knew there was a couple questions. I'm in super late right now. Um, so let me just tell you the four things I want you to mull over in your own personal time and in your um, time in your mat groups. Um, you got a lot going on. Yes, sis? Oh, we don't have mat groups this week because of Thanksgiving. Sorry, guys. So mull over in your own personal time. Thanks, Betty. Okay? You have basically, hopefully you've been encouraged to have like a, basically a, a historical context. When you read the book of Philippians now, you get to see, here are the first Christians in Philippians, right? You got Lydia, you got a jailer, right? You got a demon-possessed girl who gets released. I hope she became a Christian. I don't know for sure. The scriptures don't tell us, right? But you begin to see, oh, so this is how things begin to form, which is absolutely beautiful because then you begin to see in the book of Philippians, there's a lot of persecution now happening as it gets a, becomes a bigger church, right? And you begin to see that these guys are talked about in, in the New Testament as giving their gifts, to Paul many times. So now you got a, a snapshot of the, of the context of the Philippian church. So as you read the book of Philippians, which I encourage you to do, hopefully you'll be encouraged. But also I want you to see, I love what Jesus is doing. And notice what he does. He comes in, goes to the river. We see a rich lady come to Christ, praise the Lord. We see a jailer come to Christ. We see him release someone from demonic oppression. And guess what God is showing us? Man, the gospel's for everybody. You see that? Gospel for everybody. 
You sit in here, somebody, you know, you have a friend who's, who's doing whatever you think they're doing. And man, they're just so far from God. I don't know if God wants to say to them. Man, that's a lie. The, God, the reason why we neighbor, the reason why we come together on Sunday to remind ourselves we're not crazy is because the gospel is for everybody. God wants you and I to be neighboring, loving, caring for our people so that they can hear the beautiful message of Jesus and experience true life. And then to see... Theological, right? The study of God. That God's power cannot be thwarted. We see this every week. And I'm going to continue to hopefully be faithful to you as your pastor to tell you every week. Get, get outside your problems. Get outside of thinking, oh, man, I don't know. If, okay, God is in control of everything. But this little issue, he don't really care about that. It's not true. You see what he's doing in, in, in history? Do you see how he's taking little scenarios and he's framing them and hooking it up to, to grow a church? You see that? You see what he's done? You see how he, he came in, they found a little a, a, a lady who... It's on the riverside hanging out. All the other ladies, it doesn't record they come to Christ at all. But the one who had the dough came to Christ. And guess what? You remember in, in scripture and in, in history, when you look at um, antiquities and you read antiquities, this Lydia person is talked about in scripture. And Lydia has a lot of money. And Lydia actually supports the church. See, God, he's, he's rocking things. So guess when you think about your individual lives, I'm telling you, praise the Lord. God is intimately involved in your life. He's working things out. Don't think of Judas on your own. Don't live that folly. Don't be that stupid. Okay, guys? I use that word because I want us to understand that's what it is. When we think we are our own guys, we got to go out here and pull our bootstraps up and just be smart and, and work hard and do our thing and work our plan and, and network and do our, we miss it. And practical. In Christ, you can live a spirit-filled life. I just, I just, I'm blown away. I want you to go on your time and as you're sitting around enjoying turkey and all that, go back to that passage and just see these men beaten down and in prison singing. And think about our lives and say, man, when do I give myself excuses to mope? When do I give myself excuses to be worldly? When do I give myself excuses to just be unspirit filled and in the flesh? The world tells you, give yourself, oh, man, it's this doggy dog world. Everybody got to be in the flesh sometime. Right? The world tells you, you know, it's just hard. Is that what the scriptures tell us? No. The scriptures tell us that, hey, when we're in the flesh, we get to have the grace and the opportunity to repent and to be filled with the spirit. But the goal is to enjoy Christ and, and enjoy holiness and be filled with the spirit. So my prayer for all of us in this body, that we'll be filled with the spirit We'll be enjoying Christ. We'll be making Christ known. Invite people into the beauty of the gospel. Because God is moving. He's doing his thing. All right, family? Be encouraged. If you are in our body right now and you're like, man, I, I want to I lock arms with these guys. We, we pray that you guys will come and, and enter in discipleship with us and lock arms with us. And let's, let's proclaim the good news. We, we, are, we are, by God's grace, wanting to build an army so that God's clarity of the gospel can be so clear in this community. And we got, we got momentum. God is blessing us with these outreaches. We've got another one coming. Hey, guys, let's keep pushing forward by God's grace and enjoying Jesus, okay? And let's let the model of the missionary journey, as we're on mission, <laughs> encourage us, right? Guys, thanks for the time. I want to um, have you think about that. While we're thinking about it, I want you to respond and worship to Jesus uh, through a time of tithing offering and communion, okay? Um, I know we've gone over, but I think this is important to talk through this. And so... Um, just wanted to be clear about the gospel and what's going on in that, in that text there.
read in your own time, chapter 17, as we enter into 17, we're going to do Advent time for a couple of weeks, and then we're going to hit Acts again. Right now, we're doing tithing and offering. If you are new to this body, keep your purses and your wallets to your side. We're not asking.